0: Friends, this episode is dedicated to and focused on one category of listener, those who struggle with tricky family dynamics during the holidays. Listen, for many people, the holidays are a source of joy and coziness and longstanding traditions. But for a whole lot of other people, the holidays carry an energy frequency of dread, anxiety, avoidance. Not every family can be the Huxtables. I mean, shit, not even the Huxtables were the Huxtables as it turns out. So my friend, if you come from and return at the holidays to a family that is, shall we say, complicated, this one's for you. For I too used to be in that position. I know of which I speak. And let's dive in. All right. So You've got a complicated family dynamic and now it's the time of year that feels the most obligatory. It's Christmas, it's Hanukkah, it's Kwanzaa, it's whatever the thing is. And people are expecting you to come home or they are expecting you to be home, right? They're expecting you to be present and participate in all the reindeer games. And it may feel like you're in an impossible situation, right? Either you opt out of the reindeer games and break your poor mother's heart or your poor sibling's heart. Or you opt in, and in the end, you feel resentful and rage-filled, probably having numbed out harder on food and drink than you'd intended to. I mean, good times, right? Either way you slice it, whether you opt out or white-knuckle it through, you're the one doing the hard emotional labor here. But here's what I want you to know. Even though this might seem like an impossible situation, it's not. It's actually a situation with tremendous possibility, but it all begins by asking this one question, what do you want? What if you let yourself really envision the holiday experience you want? Not the one you think you have to have, but the one you actually want. What does it look like? What does it feel like? Who are you surrounded by? Are you surrounded by anyone? What are you doing? What are you eating and drinking and playing? I want you to really create a vision and hold it in your mind for a moment. And now if your holiday's dreamscape that you've conjured features your family getting along and braiding each other's hair and having sleepovers when they have literally never gotten along before, there's literally never been a holiday that was totally drama free. Let me tell you what you already know. That dreamscape of yours, it's not realistic. And you may want to create a different dream. You may want to modify what good looks like. Part of what might be causing you untold yuletide pain is that you haven't fully yet accepted and mourned the loss of your idealized family or holiday experience. And so every year, every gathering, you are injured all over again when your aunt behaves badly or your brother drinks excess and has to be side tackled before he reaches for his car keys and drives drunk. And because you are injured anew each year, these wounds never heal. They just keep getting reopened. And now might be the time to work on accepting that your brother might always drink too much and say mortifying stuff. It may be time to accept that your Archie Bunker mother may never get a sophisticated understanding of race and gender norms. Being perpetually disappointed in someone's behavior is actually on you, not them. They're clear about how they roll. They never change. They are consistent as hell. It's you that doesn't seem able to accept it. And accepting this may usher in a strange kind of grief, the grief of loss, even though no one has died. The grief of feeling disconnected, despite everyone still being interested in connecting with you. We often cling to toxic relationships out of a fear of facing the world on our own, unprotected by the tribe. And this can stir up sadness and regret. And I want you to know that if you feel these things, you're not broken, you're human. And you may need a little help. You may need a little support getting through this, right? Right. Get a therapy session going on. Talk to a priest. Talk to a friend. Get whatever support you need. And however, your grief shows up, once you've kind of begun to accept and mourn the loss of that idealized, AKA not real family dynamic you wish you had, you can start making powerful but incremental shifts on two levels. Level one, you can choose to limit exposure to this cast of characters that causes you pain. Or two, you can choose to operate amongst this cast of characters differently. So let's talk about door number one for a second, where you opt for limiting exposure to your problematic family members. When I was in my early 20s, struggling with an enormously painful relationship with a family member, I went to a priest for advice. And this was pre-therapy, you guys, and because I didn't have money for therapy in those days. And going to confession was most excellent and free. I had a great church, and a great priest, so I took full advantage of it. Not everybody has that experience, I recognize, but that was my truth. And I remember sitting in this dark, musty old confessional, super old school, and I remember saying to the priest, Father, I cannot stand, insert name here, to protect the innocent, or maybe not so innocent. Father, I cannot stand this person. He is intentionally cruel. He delights in belittling me, and I dread every interaction. And the priest listened quietly and then said, "Uh, is there a reason why you're spending any time at all with this person? I was shocked. I said, well, he's a part of my family constellation. So I, I feel kind of obligated. I mean, isn't Jesus all about turning the other cheek? And the priest chuckled and he said, listen, Jesus isn't a masochist. Jesus is a realist. If someone is emotionally abusive, you're allowed to create distance to protect yourself. By disconnecting and protecting your heart, it's easier to feel compassion for that person. And that is what turning the other cheek is about, he said, wishing someone well, if from a distance. And I was like, oh my God, (gasps) right, of course, Father So-and-so. And And I cannot, you guys, for the life of me, I cannot remember this priest's name. It's so sad because I can see his face so crystal clear, but he was at St. Dominic's in the 90s in San Francisco. Father, what's your name? I wish I could remember. Anyway, that priest helped me to see that I had been conflating being a quote unquote good girl with taking on everyone else's toxic vomit mange. And it was like Jesus himself blessed my plan in that moment to ease on out of those dynamics. And over the course of a few years, ease on out is exactly what I did. It was gradual, step by step, until finally, After one particularly drama-filled moment with my dad, I very lovingly said, from now on, I'll be staying in San Jose with Sal's family. You are always welcome to come up and join us. Nothing would make me happier, but I am not coming down to this anymore. And I didn't. And guess what? He did come to us. People did start coming to us. And giving how incredible and loving and welcoming my in-laws are, I was able to enjoy a ton of happy Thanksgivings and Christmases with my side of the family who all are always on their best behavior in that scene, which I love. And it required me taking a hard stand on something that I am sure caused my father pain. I'm sure of it. But I got to tell you, it was worth it. And it's not something I regret, even though he's no longer with us. Because here's the thing. It feels good To prioritize protecting your sanity, you should try it as often as you can. And, you know, there's that voice in the back of our head when we're dealing with really tough family members that's like, oh, God, you know, someday they're gonna die. And I don't wanna have any regrets about having spent time with them. Here's the thing I wanna tell you, because I'm on the other side of that. Here's what I will tell you with my father, I prioritized experiences that would bring out the best in both of us. And I focused on those, they were brief. They were as frequent as I could manage and they were important and presence-filled and they gave us both what we needed. Did he want more? Of course. Did I want more? No, because it would have caused me pain. And when he died, I looked around in my psyche and my underpinnings like, do I regret not having spent more quantity of time with him when he was living? Or do I feel good about the quality of time I spent with him? And I got to tell you, it's not even a question in my mind. I have literally no regrets, none. And I limited my exposure with my dad. I loved that man madly. But towards the end, it got really, really challenging to be with him. And so I prioritized protecting my own heart and mind. And you know what? I know that from the other side, he is listening to me, nodding his head in agreement. So I really invite you to consider walking through door number one. Limit exposure and start doing a little of what you actually want to be doing at the holidays. A little more and then a little more. And before you know it, you may have a totally new way of celebrating on your own terms what Christmas or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah feels like. You know what I'm saying? But let's talk about door number two. Let's say you're not ready to limit exposure for whatever reason. Door number two is about choosing to show up differently to your family. And behind door number two, there are a gadrillion of techniques and strategies I could share with you. But what I'm going to do is give you three plus a bonus strategy, and I want you to play with them. I want you to think of it like one of those C's chocolate samplers and just, you know, pick one up, check it out, try it out, see how it feels. But just, you know, try one of these, see how they feel. Let me know how it goes. Okay, some will resonate, some won't. But here's the first one. Strategy numero uno, my friend. Hone your listening skills. In tricky family dynamics, I don't think it's always reasonable for us to expect to be cared for and listened to. If you come from a functional family, those are absolutely reasonable things to expect to be cared for and listened to. But in a highly dysfunctional family, they're just really not. So instead of seeking to be understood, I say, seek to understand, practice your listening skills. Sometimes when people feel heard, they act less crazy. So, you know, there's that. In my listening skills, keynotes and workshops, I often talk about the three main types of deep listening. One, listening to support and empathize. That's when we're validating and really mirroring back to the other person what they're saying so that they feel heard and supported. Two is listening to solve and fix, that's when you're literally listening so that you can fix it, make it better, help drive change. And the third type of listening is listening to gather information. And, you know, listen, (laughs) listen, get it, listen. Any of us has had the experience of when someone gets annoyed with us because we're listening to solve and fix. And what they want is to have us be listening to support and empathize. And so what I love about having these three modes of listening, supporting and solving and fixing, gathering info. What I love about being clear about those modes of listening is we can ask the person we're talking to like, God, I hear what you're saying and and my impulse is to dive in and start fixing. But before I do that, what do you most need from me? Do you need support and empathy or do you need somebody to fix it? And let them tell you if you don't know, and then practice that mode of listening. It's really powerful. People love it. Unless they're one of those you know, really difficult family members who are like, how dare you ask me that question? You should know what I need. In which case, honey, it is time to go refill your drink and walk away. Anyway, those are the three types of listening I'm interested in engaging in. They're the spaces for connection and real intimacy. But here's the kinds of listening I am not interested in, nor should you be. I am not interested in listening to metabolize and internalize someone else's pain and discomfort as Peggy Flynn calls it, I'm not here for emotional dialysis. Some people seem to have a bottomless well of complaints and gripes for you to listen to. And guess what? You don't have to. You don't have to sit and take it. Just set a little mental note in your brain that you will listen for empathy and support purposes for 10 minutes and then excuse yourself and go to the bathroom. Seriously, you get to do that. I am also categorically against what I call pig wrestling conversations. You know that axiom, never wrestle with a pig because you both get dirty and the pig loves it. Pig wrestling conversations are designed to get you riled up, to create drama or conflict because it's fun for the pig. Not so much for you, but the pig is delighted. They're living for the drama. They're rolling around in that mud, having a great time. Meanwhile, you are filthy and angry. So we don't have to pig wrestle, okay? That's a choice we make. Always opt out of pig wrestling. Go get a refill on your drink. Like I said, tell them you have a phone call you forgot to make. Go to the bathroom. No drama, just bounce. Get up on out of there. So that's strategy number one. Listen, practice listening. Strategy number two is to use I statements. You know, these are those ones everybody makes fun of. I feel X when you say Y or I feel X when you do Y. But here's my spin on it. I like saying, I feel X when you say Y, and I know that wasn't your intention. So I wanted to let you know. For some reason, by indicating that you are not blaming them or attributing meanness to them, they're less likely to feel attacked and they might actually wake up to the effect they're having. This really, really works with difficult people in my life. And I think it has to do with the, I know it wasn't your intention part. But when you encourage a person to understand the causality and effectality, is that a word, of how they speak to you or how they treat you, sometimes it does help because sometimes people just don't know. They've never been given the feedback, right? You might be able to actually create positive change with an I statement. And if the other person doubles down on their shitty behavior after you've told them an I statement about how it makes you feel when they say or do X, then you know it's time to get up and move to a different conversation. Because someone that doesn't care how something makes you feel is kind of telling you who they are. And who they are, they might be a narcissist or something, or an energy vampire, some hideous conversational partner you have no business being in touch with. Okay. All of these things, when they work, they create closeness. And when they don't, They show you who you're really dealing with so that you can make some conscious choices about how you spend your time. Okay? I'm just saying. And funny enough, adding to sort of the I statement arsenal of strategies, one of my most powerful statements I've been using lately is this one. Gosh, I am not even sure what to say when you tell me X. I just feel so terrible and I want to be there for you, but I just don't know what to say. There's something in that phrase that's really magical. And I use it with people that are perpetually looping on the same victim narrative. It's just the same thing over and over again. And it's dreadful and it's terrible and it's sad, but they don't seem to make any changes. And instead of solving, instead of even empathizing, I like telling them, you know what? I hear this story from you such a lot. It just makes me feel so terrible. And I honestly don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Something about them that really stops people in their tracks and they don't feel attacked by it. They feel sort of in awe of the fact that it gives them this like flash of insight into what it must be like to listen to them all the time. Give that one a shot. It's a good one. Strategy three, it's the good old agree to disagree strategy. Listen, no matter how good you are at debate, most of the time, your argument will not sway your sister's opinion on the Black Lives Matter movement or the vaccine mandates or climate change or whether K pop is a legit musical genre worth listening to. It's okay to simply agree to disagree and focus on what you share in common, like the love you both have for true crime podcasts or, I don't know, Sex in the City reruns or Pina Coladas and getting caught in the rain. It doesn't matter. Just focus on what you share in common. And I find. That the less I debate, the more I actually create space for commonality, the more likely they are to listen to my opinions when we do start to stumble back on topics we disagree on. I think we, in friendships and in family dynamics, we treat debate as if it's this constructive thing when quite often it's really not And the only way you can actually affect change and people start opening up and and shifting opinions is not during debate. It's during a sharing of stories. Stories influence people. I have never seen a debate influence someone. I've seen someone lose a debate and feel like shit about their debating skills. And even when they've confronted the fact that their position is wrong, they still don't abandon their position. They just feel shitty about their debating skills. Like who wins? How is that helpful? It's not. So I focus on connection and on telling stories. And sometimes those stories make a difference and sometimes they don't. And I let go of the outcome. And I think that's kind of the hope of our family dynamics when we fight over these things. Because shit is divisive right now, y'all. It really is. Everything in the news cycle is set up to divide us into group A and group B. And we can't give into that impulse. I mean, God, I could preach on that all day. But anyway... Sometimes just agree to disagree and go back to finding what you share in common. Boy, aren't these canapes delightful, right? It's not surrendering. It's not being a coward. It's getting back to common ground so that you can build bridges instead of lobbing rocket missiles at each other. Okay? Okay. Bonus strategy number four, get people to tell their stories. One of the most powerful ways to connect with other people is to hear their stories. And I like going into events and even still, I mean, my family gatherings are so joyful now. I mean, they're, they're a delight, but even still after, you know, the sixth hour of a family gathering, your girl here is tired and I'm tired of making small talk. So I love asking people questions like, what is your generation's biggest news story? It's fascinating. The millennials might say 9-11. Our kids are going to say COVID. I might say COVID too. But for me, it's more 9-11 as well. I, to me, 9-11 looms larger than even COVID, crazy enough. But to like the grandparents, it might be World War II. You know, my mom's parents were both, you know, my mom's mom was a war bride and her dad was a a soldier. And there's stories that came out of that. It's just it's fascinating what marks our life, like the news moments that mark our lives are really interesting to talk about? Or what is your happiest Christmas or holiday memory? What's the best gift you've ever been given? How have the past two years changed you for the better and for the worse? What's your favorite holiday tradition? I mean, we could do this all day. So think about stories that you want to hear from other people. What was your first job? Anything. So my friend, As we go into this final week before things really slow down professionally and our sort of holiday personal lives crank up, think about how you want to approach this experience with the fam. Make a plan, try a strategy or two, and be gentle and loving with yourself. Being human is not easy, not for you, not for anyone. And the people who drive you the most insane are generally the people suffering the most inside. And while I do not advocate for taking on their suffering, I do think it helps us to have a bit of compassion for them. Earth school is hard. And with that, I wish you a beautiful, delightful holiday season, and I'll see you next year. Shine on, we need your light. Hey, if you're still with me and you haven't already, hit subscribe so you can get my latest episodes delivered hot off the press. And feel free to share this with someone who could use a little inspiration. If you're looking to go further on this journey as a communicator, head over to bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe. And on Monday mornings, you will receive a communication tip to work with for the week. And on Saturday mornings, you'll receive a short little email with three things I am listening to or reading or digging right now. Also find me on my new YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash this is Bronwyn, B R O N W I N, where I drop new content every Thursday covering strategies for getting more confident during moments of conflict. And speaking of conflict, if you're dealing with a tough client or work situation and you need better skills for managing difficult conversations, check out my new online course called the No Enemy Client Conversation. And that is noenemy.com. Bronwyn That's noenemy. Bronwyn As always, you can find me on Instagram at BronwynSF, where I offer a lot of behind the scenes insights into how I make all this content and run my business for those coaches and solopreneurs who need a little inspo. And lastly, if your company or organization needs a high voltage keynote speaker who knows how to melt faces and blow minds virtually or in real life, I'm your gal shoot me a note. Let's make some magic happen. That's Bronwyn at bronwyncommunications.com. Take care and shine on.